Hello, and welcome to the Yoli Childs Dunking Basketballs All Over Unsuspecting Utes Podcast Variety Hour. Actually, this is just Shut Up and Jimmer, your normal, regular, all-hoops BYU basketball podcast. Although, we are in a better place this week than we were last week when I said that this was the seventh circle of hell. So we've really upgraded. Uh, we've really upgraded since the last episode. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. I'm joined, as always, by a much happier than last week, uh, Robbie McCombs. Robbie, how does it feel to be back on a, on a winning streak? Feels great, Steve. It- you know, I think obviously, clearly the team, I think their strategy last week was to sit down and listen to our podcast. So I think, I think we should take all the credit, Steve, for what happened. Cause you know, it, BYU turned around, you know, we gave some tips and the team clearly sat around and listened to us. So it, it was great. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I have it on good authority. Sources very close to the program said that the coaches just all got together in one of their very nice offices in the Marriott Center Annex and uh, put on the podcast on some Bluetooth speakers and just wrote down everything that we said and then and then told the team to go do it. And that was and that was really the key that really turned the entire season around. So uh, kudos to us, Robbie. Well done. Yes. Yes. Kudos. <laughs> Um, that's not at all what happened. They're much smarter than us, but you know, that's not going to stop us from, uh, just spewing our thoughts out into the ether, which we'll do here for the next couple minutes. Um, as always, just a reminder for our, for our listeners, we are on all of the major podcast platforms, uh, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pocket casts, whatever, whatever you want to listen to podcasts on. You can find us on there. So please uh, hit the subscribe button, mash that subscribe button. We love subscribers uh, so we can get you uh, the latest episodes as soon as they become available right to your phone. And then uh, if you feel so inclined, give us a rating and a review. That really helps us out. Uh, And so all the the good ratings and positive reviews we can get uh, make everybody feel good, almost as good as a two-game BYU win streak. Uh, And speaking of, Robbie, let's dive in. Uh, Two big wins this week after a really rough week uh, last week where we had two pretty much embarrassing uh, embarrassing losses uh, to Illinois State and to Weber State, Uh, the last one being a real, a real horrible experience. I can't really overstate that enough. Um, this week team bounces back, gets us what I would say based on our podcast last week is a surprising uh, and pretty convincing win over Utah state at home. And then goes up to salt Lake uh, on a neutral floor at the Vivint smart home arena and, and really puts the hurt on, uh, our rival Utes, uh, which always feels good. So I guess Robbie, there was a lot more good to talk about this week than last week. Let's, let's just dive in on the positive first. What was good that you saw this week from the Cougars and what was, how was it different than what we saw um, in the previous week of misery? Well, how it was different? It was different literally every single way, I think, Steve. <laughs> but I guess to start out, what was good? I mean, it's definitely nice to kind of dive into some good things. I guess to start it out, um, it was nice to finally see some kind of return to that balance and depth of scoring that we saw BYU had earlier in the season, albeit against much poorer teams. Uh, the past three losses is kind of Yoli did his thing. He would put up 25, 30 points and BYU kind of got a good performance from one other player. And we kind of saw in three other, those three losses, there just wasn't enough depth of scoring wise to get any wins. 
But this time it's actually finally nice to get some scoring from multiple players. Um, obviously, we saw Yoli, he did 31 points in three straight games. We'll kind of dive into that a little bit Which more. Which is pretty incredible it, when you think about it. It really is incredible. I guess let's start in Yoli. I mean, I think we're almost taking I don't think BYU fans are appreciating just exactly how good Yoli Childs is doing. I'm just first to kind of put in perspective what he's doing in this season. He's 16th in the nation in scoring. At, he's averaging about 23 and a half points a game. And then fifth in the nation in rebounding at just over 11 points. Um, he's the only player in the entire country that's in the top 20 in the nation in scoring and top 20 in rebounding. So, I mean, outside of his amazing dunk, which was that the best dunk in BYU history, Steve? That dunk where he <sighs> baptized and murdered two Utah players? I I think it might have been. I Mike Hallwang versus Air Force comes to mind. Um, do you have any other ones that kind of come to mind? I think that's number one. There's a Marty Haas one in the 80s when he yams on some dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's up there. Greg Rubel just tweeted out uh, a list of a bunch of different dunks that he recalls as being really good ones to call. Based on everything that I've seen, everything I can remember, that dunk had just a power and a ferocity behind it, plus kind of the situation being against Utah and just right on two dudes. I, I can't think of a better dunk than that. I think that one's the GOAT uh, for now until it's surpassed by somebody else. But that one was I was something else. I was sitting on my couch and folding laundry. My wife was sitting there not really paying attention. My son was kind of playing on the floor. He's two, kind of not paying attention. And all of a sudden, I, I like kicked my leg and let out like this this inexpressible, like guttural scream when that <laughs> happened. And my, my wife looked very worried about me. And my son kind of was like, you're insane, which I, I, but it was just an involuntary response. And then my son spent the the next five minutes walking around the house, kicking his leg out and screaming as loud as he could, trying to, uh, trying to imitate me. So I guess hopefully if nothing else, it was an opportunity for me to pass on the absolute weirdness of my BYU basketball fandom to the next generation. Uh, proud dad moment there, Steve. It, yeah, I yeah, think that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, pass that on to your son. You need, now needs to continue in the Pierce family. But uh, yeah, I mean, my reaction, Haley, my wife, our reaction was similar. We literally jumped up from our seats. But I mean, other than the dunk, it's just, it's pretty incredible what Yoli's doing right now. I remember we mentioned, not necessarily last podcast, but in the past couple of podcasts, we mentioned that Yoli was kind of settling for tough shots. But the crazy thing, Steve, I think he's being more assertive at the rim, but he's making he keeps all those making these shots. ridiculous shots, I know, man. Like, what is going on? Exactly. Like Utah, they had like seven footers guarding him. Like the dunk he had was over a seven footer and a six eight guy. I mean, he's hitting these fadeaways. He's hitting shots on the baseline over just like rainbows. He's fine. I looked up the stats. So at the beginning of the season, the first three games, he was 0-7 from three. And the seven games since, he's been BYU's best three-point shooter, shooting over 40%. So, I mean, we're kind of finally starting to see it. We talked, you heard about all these things that Yoli in the offseason is working on his three point shooting. I mean, Steve, if he's shooting over 40% from three, if he's making these ridiculous shots on the block, and if he's just doing his thing, you know, with his baby hook and all the other things he does at the rim, I mean, man, he's, he's one of the top five easily best players out West, I think. I think he's better than anybody in the Pac 12. So, just oh. what he's doing right now is absolutely incredible and really. Even though BYU's finally have some production from other guys, I mean, without Yoli, BYU 
would be lucky to be 500 right now. So, yeah, he's unstoppable right now. I mean, it's just like, yeah. what do you, what do you do if he's gonna bully you in the post? And if you take that away, he can step out and hit jumpers. And if you take that away, he can hit threes. Like it's incredible. I mean, some of these shots, he still takes. A, he still takes a lot of shots that I'm like, I, I don't think you should take that shot. Yeah. But you know, he cut. He had one against Utah where he caught it, kind of like. 17 18 feet out on the baseline and just kind of faced up and then hit like it took like a fadeaway jumper and my wife doesn't care she's like not paying attention she just happens to be in the room i'm like that's a terrible shot he shouldn't take that he shouldn't have taken that shot and of course he made it i'm like oh he made it i guess it's a good shot but if he makes it every time then maybe it's not a bad shot i don't know but the dude is just he is on another level right now and it's like i don't know i like to think of like historically i got in a conversation on twitter Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple weeks ago, like about where Yoli fits historically among BYU big men. And uh, I didn't want to like zoom all the way out to like, you know, Roland Minson in the 1950s or whatever, because yeah. I don't think we can actually make that comparison. But just think about like the last 10 ish years of BYU. They've had some really good bigs. They've had Yoli, obviously, Eric Mika, Brandon Davies. Yes. Those are three like really strong, yeah, really good, good college player. Mm-hmm. Noah Hartsock as well. You can throw him in the mix. Where does Yoli kind of fit in that crew? I think a couple weeks ago, um, I was I, I thought that there was a pretty good argument to be made for any of Yoli or Brandon or Eric even um, at his peak, even though he wasn't around as long. Um, but I feel like just as we've seen in these last couple of weeks, Yoli has just kind of separated that he's a, he's a cut above what BYU has had in the past. He's just, I don't think we've ever seen, or at least not in recent memory, uh, a big dominate uh, like, like Yoli has these, these, uh, these last few weeks. And hopefully like he'll continue to do throughout the season. He's just been, he's been incredible. Yeah. I mean, if he continues at this pace, putting up 23 points, 11 boards, shooting 40% from three, I mean, that'll be a top five season for regardless of any position, I think, in BYU basketball history. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, what are you doing right now? It's pretty incredible. And I think BYU fans, like almost, I don't know if they're taking it for granted right now, but I don't think it's being talked about enough just what he's doing to how incredible what he's doing. So, I mean, I think there'll be some games where some of those shots don't go in. But I mean, as man, he's just incredible what he's doing right now. But, yeah, I mean, we could sing I think Yoli's praises for the next 30 minutes on this podcast. Yeah. But yeah, we could just rename the entire podcast after him, and it would probably still be insufficient praise for what he's doing out there yeah. on the basketball court right now. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, besides just the obvious how well Yoli's been playing, um, it was finally nice to see some guys step up, starting with that Utah State game. And we kind of saw versus Weber State, it was pretty much just Yoli. I mean, and then Jashir kind of came through in that game. But this game, BYU actually got some. Against Utah State, they had five players come through in double figures. Um, one really encouraging thing, Steve, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Connor Harding, he started out really good. He kind of had a rough stretch the last couple of weeks, but he really started to come on this past week. He went three of five on threes, which is probably his was his biggest struggle early in the season. It's a good was, sign. Yeah, he was shooting it in the low twenties from three. So I mean, it's only five threes, so it's obviously a really small sample size. But I mean. He looked really comfortable shooting him. His stroke looked good. And then all the shots pretty much were were swishes. Like they were, they looked very comfortable in rhythm and he was confident taking them. So I mean, if Connor Harding sitting threes, that had a huge dimension to this team, what he he brings. I mean, with his 6'6 frame, he's kind of, we mentioned it before, he's a kind of a poor man Kyle Collins with the size, the way he takes the ball to the basket and the way he rebounds. So that was really encouraging. And then Zach Sellis, he had had a poor three point shooting day versus Utah. 
but he did make a couple of big shots in the just his all around game. I think that was his best game of, of, of his career. He had five steals, six rebounds. He had a few assists. And then, you know, TJ really came up versus Utah. He had that four point play, which I thought was really the, the nail in the coffin versus the Utah game. So TJ's showing again that he's, I think he's going to be an all conference player. There'll be games here and there where he's a little bit off, but I think 11 games in, TJ's firmly established himself that, hey, 90% of the time, TJ's going to give you a B plus or better yeah. game, which is yeah. really encouraging to see. So, I mean, those are some of the nine things balanced scoring. And then last week we mentioned, Steve, that, that this, in terms of the starting line, that Bowie just needed to do something. <laughs> and the Utah game, when I first saw, okay, Bowie starting by K Cannon. All right, at least Bowie did something that game. And uh, sorry, against Utah State. And I don't think but that was. I don't think that was, it was the not thing the that answer. Kind of <laughs> that was BYU. not what they needed. No, it was far from the answer. But I mean, it didn't hurt BYU. I think then he kind of came off the bench and Harding kind of did his thing. But it was nice that BYU actually did something. And then obviously against Utah, I think going forward, I think this is going to be the right move, putting, inserting Connor Harding into the starting lineup, especially with with Dalton Nixon coming off the bench, which I think really fits him with the, with the energy guy, energy guy, which is really kind of guy you want in your second unit, just a guy that bring a tons of energy off the bench. I think Connor Harding, he's McKay Cannon. He's not going to give you any rebounds at six foot, but Connor Harding. Why does McKay Cannon even play? Well, yeah. I don't even understand. We can get that to the, in the what's bad. I don't know yeah. why he gives like significant minutes. If he's not all. hitting threes, he's a six foot guy that has no length on the defensive end. It's not going to stop. He's not, if he's not going to make shots and not stop anyone, what is McKay Cannon going to do? Sorry, McKay. I'm I, sure you're a nice guy. Yeah, but. I mean, bless his heart. I mean, great guy. But I mean, man. But I think uh, Connor Harding, obviously, I think is definitely the higher ceiling, definitely the better player right now, too. So yeah. those were some really encouraging things I saw, Steve. That I th- it was nice to see other guys step up. I think TJ Haas firmly established yeah. as himself as a guy going to give you B plus performance or better every night. Um, so. A lot of good things. Uh, there's, I think there's more things too. Obviously, Nick Emery, I'll let you dive into that a little more. Uh, that I think that was really the spark that helped BYU beat Utah State. Not even necessarily him. He did well with 11 points, but just his energy he provided off the bench. That was really encouraging. Just I think it kind of seeped into the whole team, just like that energy Nick Emery brought to the rest of the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that we cannot surprisingly got this far in without uh, mentioning the the impact of one young Nicholas Emery um, but it was you could sense you know he came in off the bench in that Utah State game you could sense just the entire tone of the team just kind of change and the energy in the arena changed and obviously that was a home game and it was his first game back so it's a little bit unique but the emotion and the intensity and the focus that he plays with is something that I feel like, and we talked about this last week, I feel like this team has missed. They've missed that fire. They've missed that emotion that Nick, I think, is uniquely um, uniquely situated to bring. And he brings it on both ends. And the defensive end for this team is way more important right now because they really need that, that fire on the defensive end. And, and you kind of saw that. You know, as soon as he stepped on the floor, he he hit his first three, and uh, then he he got a steal right right down on the next possession, and then assisted on a big bucket right after that, and that kind of kick started BYU's big run that put him up, you know, whatever they were, 18, 19 points uh, at halftime. So it's just a different, more than anything else, it's just a different emotional presence um, when he's when he's on the floor, and that 
he didn't get as much time uh, against Utah. I think he looked more like a guy who didn't quite have his basketball legs about him when he was out there, which is understandable. He hasn't really played uh, in a game in 18 months. The Utah State game can be a little bit of an aberration since it's the first one back, and you're always really jacked up for that. So it may take a little bit of time for him to to really produce like that on a consistent basis. But I think it was a really good harbinger um, for things that could be to come. Just giving BY is just another another weapon that Dave Rose can can put on the can put on the floor and who can potentially produce and we've talked about you know last week this team lacks weapons they've had they've been relying on essentially three guys to to power the offense um and they needed all three to really click to beat good teams now they at least have four guys that they can rely on and you know if Zach Selyus plays like he did against Utah then maybe that's five and if Connor Harding can produce uh like he did against Utah State that's six and then you know you've got a you've got a wealth of options they just need they need to have options and you know not everyone needs to be on every night but they needs to be enough options and, and really solid players who can contribute that you know three or so three to four are going to be able to click on any given night to to beat a good team and I think that what we saw this week with Nick coming back and and Zach's performance and I, I don't want to understate Zach's performance that was the best Zach Selyus has ever played he didn't shoot particularly well and he gets killed especially on Twitter a lot for for his shooting and to be fair that's fine because he's a shooter and that's what he's here to do but he impacted that game everywhere else he got to the rim he got fouled and got to the line he had five steals I think on defense he was super active with his hands he was just he was everywhere in a way that you know I've always said if Zach Sallis doesn't make threes he's not giving you anything so he can't he has to sit down but he didn't make that many threes he was two for eight against Utah and he impacted the game in other ways, so he deserves to play. The Cougars need Zach Selyus. They need him to be good. They don't have anyone. He's amongst their best shooters. Him and, him and TJ are pretty much neck and neck percentage-wise, um, so that he has to keep taking threes. They don't have a lot of better options. Um, and they don't really have anyone else who has the type of length he has on the perimeter that's able to, to guard wings when he's engaged. So they really need him to be good, and he was good against Utah, and so he needs to carry that forward and have that confidence. Um but I think that I think there's a lot of promise that we saw this last week, just in terms of spreading out the contributions, getting contributions from different guys, um, and I hope that that pays dividends as we move, particularly into WCC play, where it's just kind of a grind, and you you need it, you need a bunch of different guys to help in order to get through it. Yeah, I like what you mentioned about Celius's length. It's the nice thing because BYU's had always had shooters in the past, but even it's nice to have a guy at six seven that could shoot, just because. On the defensive end, what Sully's could provide, like he's he's by no means a lockdown defender, a guy that's super quick. No. But I mean, even if he he does have subpar quickness, just that six seven length makes up for a lot of things. Like for example, McKay Cannon, and he's six feet, so that that limits him a lot. But at six seven, what Sully's could do is he's got five steals that game, six rebounds. So even though he's doesn't have the quickest of feet, just that six seventh length helps a lot especially on the defensive end. And speaking of defense, Steve, um, that defense definitely, after giving up 113 points to Weber State, um, the defense was much, much better this week. Way but, better. Yeah, night, huge, huge improvements. Yeah, night and day compared to what we saw. I think a lot of it, when I mean, we heard there was a players-only meeting that TJ and Yoli, um, they, they instituted amongst the players after that Weber State game, which I think is really important. It's really nice to see that the players, they saw, hey, when that Weber State game was embarrassing. Do we really want to be that type of team moving forward? I think that players meeting meeting 
other than them listening to our podcast. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> that's they, where they listened to the podcast. Robbie was in the players yeah, only meeting. That's the sources. Yeah. They, they put the podcast on. That's it. Guys looking at Steven Robbie are saying, we have to do what they're saying. No, but I think we're starting to, we're starting to digress a little also, bit. Also, why is McKay Cannon still playing? McKay, get out of here. Yeah. yeah he's like, yeah, this player's <laughs> made McKay. Um, no, um, yeah, we're getting, we're getting off topic here, Steve. We're digressing fast, but um, <laughs> no, honestly, I think that player's meeting, I think that's really kind of what lit a fire under this team. And, especially that first stuff against Utah State, it, it didn't look like the same team on the floor, Steve. I think Utah State, they shot 35% of three in that first on the, from the field in that first half. We were saying that that Utah State team, they're really good. They're probably the yeah. second best team in the Mountain West after Nevada. I mean, they have some good play. Like Sam Merrill, he... I, I think he was scoreless in the first half and Utah State didn't make a single three in the first half after Weber State absolutely torched BYU. So I mean, we focused a lot on the offense up to this point, but the defense, I think that was very, very promising. And both teams, they shot under 40% yeah. from the game, three-point defense. Utah State shot 17%. Utah State, I mean, sorry, the Utes, 33%. It's nice BYU switched up a little bit. I saw they played some 1-3-1 zone versus Utah. Um, it was a little shoddy at times, but I mean, fortunately, Utah's not a great team, so they missed some open threes. But I mean, it was yeah. that was very, very encouraging to see just the BYU. I think it wasn't as much as a scheme thing, Steve. I think it was more of an effort thing and just uh, yeah. taking pride on the defensive end. That's what I really liked what BYU brought. Yeah, I mean, that's what we talked about last week. It wasn't, you know, it's not like they had some great, you know, schematic tactical epiphany over the last week and just totally changed how they played, how they played defense or how they, you know, defend ball screens and that magically changed everything. It's just an effort and a focus thing. That's what we talked about last week. And that's totally what you saw this week. They were engaged. They cared about defending. They took a little pride in getting scored on. Um, and there was just, there was just more focus. There's getting out and, and getting out and getting into guys on the perimeter. They forced a good number of turnovers, 16 turnovers by USU, 11 by Utah. Um, which turned into a good number of points in both those games, both of which were big wins. Um, so that shows just a, a little bit more activity, um, getting hands on balls, tipping balls in passing lanes. Um, and they also did they did a really good job of making life really hard for the, the best scorers on the other team. You mentioned Sam Merrill, really, really good player, uh, held him to 17 points on 5 of 13 shooting. You know, 17 points for a guy like Sam Merrill, that's a that's a pretty average night for him. Um, and, you know, guys at that level, they're going to get their points. Um, it's just how tough do you make it? Uh, him shooting, you know, 5 of 13, that shows that they made it really tough. And then Cedric uh, Bearfield for Utah, uh, 16 points on 6 of 18 shooting. So that's just wildly inefficient. Um, and you put some of that on Bearfield for shot selection. But kudos to BYU for really taking his shots away or making them or at least forcing him into tough shots and making those shots difficult for him. Um, and so I think, you know, you just saw that focus and that energy and that intensity in a way that had been totally absent. I'm going to say the entire season and they got away with it against bad teams, but it was especially noticeable, like you said, against, against Weber state. Um, and you know, I think it got a little lax against Utah state in the second half, Utah state still put up, you know, 80, 80 points, I think. Um, and so it got a little, a little lax in the second half, but kind of tightened right back up against Utah. I think the real test is going to be, you know, how does it carry, does it carry forward when we go play, 
you know, Portland State should be fine. Shouldn't be too much of a challenge. But, you know, going to, to Vegas to play UNLV, which is not a great team. Um, and then especially, you know, San Diego State, Mississippi State that we have in the next couple of weeks. Um, those are going to be tougher games. And does that defensive focus uh, stick around? Or was it just a, 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 you know, a little blip that came because they were, A, embarrassed by the Weber State game, and B, you know, extra jacked up to play, you know, in Utah State and Utah, who they didn't want to lose to. I think, I, I really want to believe that this team has turned the corner, that they now value defense, that I think Nick Emery's presence really helps there, like I said, emotionally and in terms of his intensity. Um, and, you know, like you said, players only meeting coming from the players, which we said it kind of needed to do. Um, so I hope that this is a this is a turning point for this team and, and they can kind of just build from here. But we won't know. And that's the thing about these about college basketball, these teams and their progression. It's not linear necessarily. It can be, but it's usually not. There's fits and starts and peaks and valleys. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how BYU builds from here. But this is certainly a good a good foundation. Uh, that's better than it was better than it was mm-hmm. last week for sure. Yeah. And one kind of final thing I want to touch on Steve, before we kind of move on to what wasn't so great from this past week. So that first, that Utah state game, particularly the first half, we kind of saw the potential of what this BYU team can be when they do show, shoot well. And obviously that goes for any basketball team. You say, Oh, if you shoot well, you're going to play well, but why that's particularly um, applies to BYU is because BYU is a team that doesn't turn the ball over. If you look at where BYU is nationally in terms of turnovers, BYU is second in the nation in turn- turnover percentage, which is to say BYU, out of every single team in the nation, BYU is the second best team in not turning the ball over, which is very impressive. So if, That is really impressive. Yeah, so, and BYU, they beat you, that's why they beat Utah, even though BYU didn't make a lot of threes. I mean, if you're giving yourself a lot of possessions by not turning the ball over, you could kind of afford to have a poor shooting night because you're not turning the ball over but on the flip side if you're not turning the ball over and and if you're hitting a lot of threes then that that's that's exactly what we saw in the first half Utah State BYU went out to a 20 point lead so if BYU's having one part of the equation offense and they're not turning the ball over but if they could finally put those two things together and also make threes then this then we saw the potential of how dangerous this BYU team could actually be I don't think we'll see that a lot because I don't think BYU has established itself as a good shooting team. But it's nice to see that since BYU is not turning the ball over, that potential is there for what the team could be if they do end up putting it together. Yeah, it's always easier when you don't have a bunch of empty possessions and you can re- get, at least get a shot up. I mean, that's the that's the real mark of uh, of you know good college basketball teams is they get at least get an attempt, get a shot up, give yourself a chance to get points uh, on almost every possession, and you'll be in a, a much better place. So the fact that those turnover percentages are are, are really eye opening to me. I didn't I hadn't seen that, and I think that's a uh, that needs to continue because whether or not they shoot well, I don't know if they'll be able to control that. Hopefully, they will. Will, you know, kind of progress to the mean because, you know, the, normally the phrase is regress to the mean. But mm-hmm. I think BYU is they have the talent is a better as a better shooting team than they have been. So hopefully they continue to progress to the mean. But even if they don't, um, hopefully taking care of the ball can help mitigate uh, mitigate some of those effects. Let's flip over to what maybe wasn't so good. There's obviously a lot less in this category uh, this week than than in the last. The one I'll say off the top just Rotation wise, I already I already aired my grievances about McKay Cannon's rotation minutes. He had 16 uh, and got the start against Utah State, which you know I st- I still don't quite understand. But I, I I heard I heard the I heard why Coach Rose did it was to guard Sam Merrill. 
I, I don't know that it necessarily worked out that well. I mean, he, he Sam Merrill had a tough game. I don't know if it was because of what McKay Cannon did necessarily. Um, only had five minutes versus Utah. Um, I expect kind of more, especially as Nick gets uh, finds his legs a little bit more, I expect McKay to kind of see see less and less, have kind of more of a Utah-level minutes load, a five, five or so minutes a game, um, just as, as Nick takes more and more minutes, which I think is kind of inevitable. Uh, the other person from a rotation standpoint that uh, I'm a little bit concerned about is that Gavin Baxter didn't play more than three minutes in either game this week. Now, I know that Rose, you know, Gavin, I'm not saying he's out there, you know, as a world beater right now. He's clearly a freshman, clearly recently back from a mission, clearly figuring things out still. Um, The concern I have is that I think we're at risk of a little bit of a Peyton Dastrup situation where Coach Rose doesn't trust the player, um, therefore doesn't play him, therefore the player never gets better and improves and has the oppor- the real opportunity to earn that trust in a game setting, therefore the trust is never earned, therefore the player never plays, therefore the player ends up not progressing and feeling frustrated, and then ends up transferring to another program. Uh, I think we all saw that happen with Peyton Dastrup. I think that was... I'm fairly on record as saying that was a travesty. Um, you get a player of you know Peyton Dastrup's pedigree, a four-star kid. You need to keep him in the program, um, and they should have found. I think it was a mistake for Coach Rose not to find more minutes for Peyton Dastrup because I didn't think he was playing any worse than anybody else last year, um, and actually brought interesting things to the table. And I think that's the case for for Gavin Baxter. Uh, I think he needs to play more. I'm sure that he is frustrated. It's another four-star kid um, who has a lot of potential, and I know that he's starting to figure it out. Um, and, and, you know, doesn't really know what he's doing yet at a, at a division one level, but at the same time, he's never going to figure out if he never plays. Um, and I think that there are ways that they can use him and use his unique gifts and what he can do at this point more effectively. I think we talked a lot about using him in kind of lob packages, not just sticking him in the corner. Um, because what's he going to do when he gets it in the corner? If he's just standing there, he's going to shoot the ball, which is what he did against Utah, which they don't really need Gavin Baxter shooting corner threes right now, um, which we can talk about who should and should not be shooting threes. But why not, you know, have Gavin Baxter always collapsing and diving to the rim once somebody gets in the paint looking for a lob? Why not use Gavin Baxter as a screener in a pick and roll to come off and, and, and look for a lob as he crashes to the rim, kind of like what Eric Mika used to do. I think there's just there's a real potential that if they don't play Gavin Baxter, uh, he won't progress and will get stuck in that same self-fulfilling prophecy doom cycle that we did with Peyton Dastrup and he'll leave. And so that's a very long term concern. I think that Gavin Baxter has it can be an X factor for this team. And when he's good, this team is really good, but he can't be good if they don't play him. Yeah, <laughs> so that's my my fear. No, that's a real concern, Steve, especially I think. If Yoli keeps this up, I think he's definitely going to leave after this year. And if who do you replace him with? I think Gavin Baxter has to be that guy. And kind of one thing that's concerning for me, if you go back to a few games ago, that Illinois State game, Gavin Baxter actually had a really good first half. He went four for four. He had 10 points in that first half, played about eight, nine minutes. He only played one minute that second half. And since then, he hasn't played more than five minutes a game. And obviously, he didn't look great versus Utah or Utah State. I think part of that, he was a little bit out of position. I don't know why against a two, three zone, you're putting Gavin Baxter in the corner instead of having him cut to the basket. He said some of those lob packages, but I mean, even though 
He didn't show great the last two games. I don't think he was in position. And he just, I don't think he wasn't given the opportunity. He had a great first half against Illinois State. He's pretty much been shut down since. So, I mean, he obviously has had his downs, but he's had his ups too. I mean, during the season over, he was awesome against Nevada and he's had other few games since. So I think BYU just simply cannot afford to lose a guy like Gavin Baxter. And with games coming up against teams like UNLV, San Diego State, Mississippi State, teams that have really good length. I mean, so not only looking to the future to next year, but I think now BYU needs a guy like Gavin Baxter with his skill set and athleticism. So I think you bring up a really good point, Steve. BYU has to... Has, BYU has to watch out for itself now, obviously, and wants to win now. But, I mean, if you're going to go this way with Gavin Baxter, I, BYU is in real danger of losing him. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, you know, it's tough for a kid. Anyone who's played the game at any level knows that if you're getting, like, you know, the last two minutes of the half and then two minutes of garbage time at the end of the second half, and that's all you're getting, it's really tough to establish any type of rhythm to get into the flow of the game, which makes it really tough to play well. And especially, you know, if you're coming into a situation like Gavin Baxter's where he hasn't played basketball in two years and he's never played at this level before, just not getting the time is is really going to handicap his development. And I think BYU's generally struggled with player development as a whole. Um, they just don't really develop guys, I think, as well as maybe they used to or as well as they should, given the talent level. And so I think that's a real con- a real concern for him. Just getting shots up in the gym by yourself or in you know scrimmage settings, it, yeah, it'll get you better, but can only do so much. He's got to play, and maybe you know he can play more against these you know the Portland states of the world. But you know, as the WCC gets better, and there's going to be less surefire, you know, surefire guaranteed win games this year with USD and USF and LMU all being a lot better. Um, along with Gonzaga and St. Mary's, there's going to be less opportunities for him to play in kind of you know low stakes environments. So he has to play in the in the medium or high stakes environments. And you know what? I think with players of his caliber and that talent level, you guys have to trust them that they're going to go out and figure it out and and acquit themselves well um, and make a little bit of an investment in the future, even if it's if it seems a little scary at the time. Um, but you know. But that'll be something to watch, I think. That's something I'm concerned about. I don't want to see the Dastrop situation repeated, but just something to watch moving forward. What else did you see, Robbie, in terms of stuff that um, in this very good week uh, gave you a little pause and cause for concern? Yeah, a few more things that st- stood out just to touch on a little bit. So th- something that's something that's plagued BYU a few games, not in every game, has been giving up offensive rebounds. And BYU did give up 13 rebounds against Utah State. I think part of that too, I mean, that big guy for Utah State, what's Queda? Is that his last name? The 6'11 Portuguese guy? Yeah, he's. The dude is a mountain. Oh, yeah. He's going to be great the next few years for Utah State. They got themselves a great player. He's far, I think he's better than anybody projected. So I think you have to take a little bit of grain of salt because if BYU's not matching up with him on the glass, I don't think that's a huge concern. But, I mean, that's going forward. It's something that UNLV does really well. And obviously, you know the type of athletes San Diego State gets. So, BYU is really going to clean things up on the defensive glass. I think, fortunately, I think part of that Utah State is BYU didn't have Connor Harding in a lot. So, I think with him starting, I think that should mitigate some of that concern a little bit. But with this next couple weeks stretch, I think offensive rebounding, giving up offensive rebounds to say, is something BYU needs to watch out for. Um, and then a few other things. Um, so we mentioned Utah State. BYU got really good production from a lot of different places. But against Utah, if you take out what Yoli did, what TJ did, what Zach did, um, there just wasn't a lot in that game. And Jashir, he's kind of had this 
pattern a little bit is he'll be one game great and the next game he'll be invisible. I think he had 23 versus Weber State and then next week versus Utah, he put up a bagel in the scoring column. So Jashir, when, when Jashir's playing well, especially when TJ and Yoli are playing well and even another guy, um, he's just something that has a good skill set to BYU. He's really quick. He could get to the basket with his quickness, which I think BYU doesn't have. So that was that's something I think that's starting to establish itself as a trend 11 games through the season, just Jashir and you don't really know what you're kind of going to get night in and night out. So that's a little bit concerning. And then a few other things that I saw, I mean, against Utah, BYU, who went back to the three-point shooting team we've seen all year. I think BYU shot around 30% from three, which granted is... 33%. Yeah, yeah. which, I mean, to be fair, it's better than BYU shot about every other game the rest of the year, which is... It's really sad. It's really sad that that constitutes an improvement. I know, honestly. So, I mean, Utah State, BYU had their best three-point shooting game of the year, over 40%. But like I said, regressed a little bit versus Utah. And then, I mean, the last thing I kind of saw, Steve, is we touched on it. I mean, I don't want to bang on a guy, but uh, I mean, how many more minutes is McKay Cannon going to get? It's just, he's just not, he doesn't have, he's not making shots, Steve. I mean, he's a six-foot guy in the defensive end. He's a liability down there. So I think, like you said, once Nick gets his legs back, I think we kind of saw Nick. He didn't quite have his legs back. He had, what I, where I really saw is Nick had some kind of, just kind of fouls where he seemed out of position, where he's just kind of slow on a few things, just kind of from a, um, just not, not, not being used to being playing basketball. So I think as Nick kind of gets back, I think we'll see McKay cannon kind of fall out of the rotation, but those were a few other things, offensive rebounding, just consistency, three point shooting, and then just getting that rotation locked down. Is there any concerning trends you saw Steve besides the ones we kind of touched on? No, I think that's it. I think that your point about uh, Connor Harding really making a difference uh, potentially, you know, in that in that Utah State game, if he had gotten more time, I think that is one of the great things about that that starting lineup they used against Utah, and why I think it it is the one to kind of continue with uh, moving forward is that Harding just brings a different dimension. You're losing some rebounding, obviously, uh, with Nixon going to the bench, and they're going really really small with essentially. Uh, TJ, Jashir, uh, Zach, Connor, and Yoli at the five. So that's a super small ball lineup. Mm -hmm. But having Connor in there uh, at his size and with his ability to rebound the basketball really can help mitigate some of those small ball effects. And Zach is a a pretty decent rebounder with his length uh, as well. So between him and, and... Yoli and and Connor, uh, I think that they can they can take care of it. I think and I think that that lineup just really works for that reason, just because Connor can guard multiple positions, can rebound from that guard spot, a la kind of a Kyle Collinsworth or Elijah Bryant, um, and he, he he's a threat. Uh, unlike you know, this is not to say that Dalton Nixon can't score because he does find his way to score, but they're normally garbage buckets, and teams don't pay a lot of att- pay a lot of attention to him defensively. Uh, Connor Harding is the type of guy, just you know, especially when he does hit threes, um, he can get to the rim. I actually think his driving game is, is maybe the best part of his game right now. Um, he needs to be accounted for on offense by by the opponent and that's that just gives another wrinkle and another facet uh to that BYU team and so I think you'll see him get more and more minutes and I think that starting lineup has real potential um to continue to explore moving moving further so we're here we had a really bad three-game losing streak we have a kind of a bounce back week this week win over Utah State which I think may end up at least right now is BYU's best win on the season um and then it went over a Utah team which 
let's be clear, they're not very good right now. Um, but it's always good to beat your rival. Um, where does this leave us, Robbie? We were all doom and gloom last week. Um, what? Let's just step back, look at from a 30,000-foot view. How should BYU fans feel about this team heading into kind of these last couple weeks of the non-conference schedule? We've got these three big road trips coming up to UNLV, San Diego State, uh, and to Mississippi State. How should folks feel about where this team is right now? What's the what's the state of play? Yeah, so I think there's two different things to look at. I think there's looking at the team itself and how the team itself is playing, and there's looking at just the resume that's not the how the team's playing, but just the pure stats. So I think first of all, how the team itself is playing. I think at least for me, I think a lot of fans feel the same way. I think it's very encouraging with what we're seeing the team is doing after just that atrocity versus Weber State and to bounce back like they did a complete 180 degree turnaround versus Utah State I think that bodes well for these last couple weeks of the non-conference season heading into WCC play that BYU is finally giving it to a rhythm that BYU is committing to the defensive end that BYU is finally getting the rotations in there that Nick Emery is going to be a part of this team so I'm really liking where this team is trending especially with Connor Harding as only as a freshman the way he's progressing so the team itself I, I really like where the team is going but kind of looking onto the resume thing, the resume, there's still not a lot there. I mean, there's four losses and none of them are bad losses. I mean, Nevada's a top five Which team. is an improvement over the past years, yeah, to be honest. It's true. So, I mean, there's Nevada's obviously top five team. They're great. Um, the worst, I mean, you, Houston's undefeated. I think they're a little better, Steve, than maybe we thought initially. They had a road win at Oregon. Yeah. So, Houston, I mean, that would have been an awesome one to get, but it's not a bad loss by any means. They're going to be an NCAA tournament team. I mean, even Illinois State on the road, they're a good mid-major team. Weber State's probably the worst loss, but I mean, they could easily win the Big Sky and it is a game on the road. So I don't think that's the type of loss the committee would kill you for since it's on the road versus a top 150 team. But at the same time, there's not a lot of good there. I mean, Utah State's a solid team, but it was at home. They're probably be a top 75 type team. So that's not really one that's going to move the needle. Utah, they'll, it'll be lucky if they're a top 125 team by the end of the year. So if you're kind of stepping back a little bit, looking at the next four weeks, I mean, you know, the, they're, they're okay this year. They're four and four. They're not great. San Diego state. They had a really bad loss just two nights ago against Cal. So they're Cal is bad. You know, yeah. Yeah. San Francisco smoked Cal. And, and granted, San, and San Diego, they both smoked yeah, Cal. Granted, those are really no St. Mary's. Sorry, not San yeah. Diego. San Diego beat San Diego State. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yes. Granted, those are good teams, WCC teams. But I think, so I mean, it's kind of good from the perspective. I think BYU could feel good about going into San Diego State and getting a road win. But at the same time, it's will San Diego State be in a top hundred team by year's end? So if you're kind of looking at it, really the only chance for a true quality win BYU has to get is that road game, it's Mississippi State. And man, Mississippi State, they they looked really good against Clemson the other day. Mississippi State's a top 20 yeah. team Did right now. Did you watch any of that? Yeah, I watched it. I mean, Mississippi State, the one thing knock against them is they're not a good three-point shooting team. And they were, I think they had a school record for number of threes made that game. So, I mean, they have length, yeah. the athleticism. And if they're knocking down three, Steve, then... So, I would, it's a great Oof. opportunity for BYU, but it's a tall, tall task if for BYU were tall. To, yeah. Tall is the right word. They they start, I think, two seven-footers up front. And when I was watching the first half of that Clemson game, 
Uh, one of the seven foot guys was the guy stepping out and just stroking it from three, hit yeah. like three straight threes. I was very afraid. Um, oh, yeah. But they're 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 everything that BYU struggles with. They are tall. They are long. They are athletic. They've got quick guards who can get past you and get to the rim. It's just it's 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 gonna. That's not to say that BYU can't you know shock the world and and go into Starkville and get a win, but that's going to be a real tough game. And so I, I agree with you that I think BYU needs to, they need to win both games this week. They cannot have a, have a slip up and a regression. They need to beat Portland state at home. They need to go beat UNLV. UNLV is not a good basketball program right now. Mm-hmm. They've not been very good for the last few years. It's always tough to, you know, go to the opponent's hometown and win, but uh, you know, there should be a sizable BYU contingent there. It's technically a neutral floor game uh, at the, at the new arena there in Vegas. It's not at Thomas and Mack. Um, so hopefully there's a little bit more of a BYU presence. They should, they need to get that win. And then they need to, they need to win one of those last two games. I mean, I think the San Diego state game will end up being a top hundred win and it will be in San Diego. So that would be, uh, that would be a, I think a good win for the resume. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not going to be able to beat Mississippi state, they need to win that San Diego state game becomes a must win, especially as San Diego state, as we're seeing is a very beatable team right now. Um, so they they need to go three, they need to go, they need to win three out of four, uh, here before they go into conference. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the WCC is better. Like we've been talking about, there are, you know, I think five WCC teams are hanging around the top hundred, uh, in Ken Palm right now. And so that should give BYU more opportunities for quality wins in conference than they've had in the last few years. So hopefully that should help um, kind of make up for any stumbles they've had in the non-conference. But they really need to win three of these last four here to, if, if for no other reason, resume aside, just to go into conference, go into the holiday break with some momentum, feeling good about where you are, feeling like you're riding a little bit of a wave. Um so that they can just kind of seg into segue into 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 conference play and and hit the ground running. Yeah, and and speaking of the teams that are coming up, Steve. So obviously you mentioned we've got Portland State and UNLV, UNLV coming up. And Steve, I know you're excited for Portland State's your guy. Barrett I'm always Peary. excited for Portland State. Yeah. Do you want to give the guy the listeners a quick tidbit about who Barrett Peary is and why he's important? Yeah, so uh, there's always talk about who's going to be the guy after Dave Rose leaves the program, and the question is, uh, the operative question is, when does BYU, when does Dave Rose leave the program? Because if we're being realistic, Dave Rose is going to decide when he leaves the program. Dave Rose is not going to be fired, regardless of what the Twitter eggs uh, online will tell you. Uh, Dave Rose has earned his right to decide when he's going to leave this program, and so the question becomes, who is the heir apparent? Uh, when that happens. And because of BYU's unique uh, unique rules for who can be head coach of their athletics programs, it has to we know it has to be an active member of the LDS Church, which severely limits the pool. Uh, and so there's only a couple guys who could uh, potentially fill that spot. You could obviously have like a Quincy Lewis or somebody from inside the program. But looking outside, you have, you know, the name that gets brought up the most often is is Mark Pope at UVU. Um, another one I think is getting brought up more and more and who I think is, if, if it's up to me, maybe my leader in the clubhouse at this point, uh, is Mark Madsen, an assistant with the Lakers. Um, and then the other one who I also love and would be very happy to see, uh, as, as the next head coach of BYU is Barrett Peary, the, the head coach of, uh, of Portland state, who's made stops at, uh, kind of off the Herb Sendek, uh, coaching tree made stops at 
uh, Arizona State, uh, where he's showed a he showed a lot of uh, ability to get in get into Utah and compete for those top Utah kids. Kids like Gavin Baxter. We're really lucky that. Herb Sendak got fired at Arizona State because there was a very high chance that Gavin Baxter was going to Arizona State to play for Barrett Peary uh, before Sendak got fired and, and Peary moved on. Um, so he's he's a guy who's who's an LDS coach, uh, plays a really interesting style, um, very up-tempo, uh, both offensively and defensively, presses a lot. Um and which is a kind of an interesting approach that you don't see as much of in college basketball these days. Um, but really great recruiter, charismatic guy who's really shown an ability to, to get into Utah and, and get really good kids and also recruit outside of Utah, obviously. Um, so yeah, that's Barrett Peary in a nutshell. I love Barrett Peary. I think he's, he should be high on the list of folks that, uh, that BYU looks at when it's time to time to find another coach whenever, whenever that may be. Yeah, definitely. So it'd be really interesting to have him. I believe he grew up in Payson, Utah, so just down the yeah. road a little bit from BYU. So that'll be, I think, I believe this will be his first, first time, especially as a head coach coming to Provo. So, and then a lo- mm-hmm. little bit about the team it, itself. Um, a little bit down this year. I remember last year they really gave teams like Duke a run in the um, that Ken, the Phil Knight Invitational in Oregon. Yeah, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. The beginning of last year, they really gave Duke a run for their money. But this year, they're five. Did they beat Butler in that tournament? I think they might think, have beat yeah, Butler they, or gotten very they close. They did beat Butler, and they beat. I want to say they beat Colorado last year as well. So, I mean, his style could really give teams trouble, like he said, just pressing all game, just really up tempo. Um, this year, they lost some, a few guys from last year's team. They're five and three this year, and two thirty-one in Kempom. But three of those wins were against Division Two or Division Three teams, so they only do have two wins against D one teams. Um, Steve mentioned about you mentioned about their tempo; they're super up tempo. They like to press, and then three point shooting. And if you think BYU is a bad three point shooting team, Portland State is literally dead last. There's 353 Ooh, teams boy. in college basketball. <laughs> they're the 353 team shooting a grand total 18.7 percent from three. Whoa. So if BYU allows Portland State to shoot well from three, then sound the sirens because something is clearly wrong. I think they have two players on their team shooting above 30% from three. So man, <laughs> BYU, make, BYU seems like the Golden State Warriors compared to Pro, oh, the Portland, Portland State is from three. So that's a little bit of Portland State. And then the Saturday game, the bigger game, is against UNLV. And obviously, um, there's a lot of history between BYU and UNLV. Takes you right back to the Mountain I West. Know, and I, I have a lot, still a lot of harbor to pay against UNLV, Steve. I grew up in Las Vegas. and I, oh, That's right. I, yeah, I hated that. UNLV basketball more than I hated Utah. Just, I didn't know any Utah fans growing wow. up because there's no Utah fans outside of Utah. But, uh, <laughs> but, Zing. but yeah, but like those Trayvon, that's Trayvon, uh, Willis teams like Lou Amundsen, oh, Odardi yeah. Blinks, and all those teams. BYU has a lot of good fights with them. But I mean, that's another topic of discussion. But this UNLV team itself, we mentioned before, they're struggling this year. Um, they did almost have a road win at Illinois, which would have been a solid win for them. But they're 4-4. Four and four, They're 138 in Ken Palm. This game will be played at the T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. So it's not at the Thomas and Mac, but it is going to be in Vegas. So it's going to be a pro UNLV crowd. But BYU fans always do show up well in Vegas. And then they're also a very poor three-point shooting team. They're worse than BYU at three-point shooting as well. They shoot 27% from three. And this this is a team that they just have a lot of 
really long athletic guys. I mean, it kind of shows in the stats. They one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the nation. I think they're top ten in offensive rebound percentage. They they start six seven, six nine, and six eleven on their front line. So I mean, they don't make a lot of shots, but they're going to shoot, and then they're just going to crash the glass. So that's something BYU is really going to need to do. Their BYU is going to really need to rebound well. They're going to guard the three point line well, and then they're just going to really need to focus on on rebounding and then Unilvia kind of shows in their skill so they turn the ball over a lot in offense but with that length athleticism athleticism they force a lot of turnovers as well on defense so they they're not a refined team by any stretch but they just have a lot of long athletic teams they kind of remind me of a poor man's version of a san diego state type of team the athletes they get is that they're not going to shoot well but they're going to crash the glass and they're going to try to force turnovers. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this week. Um, I'll give my prediction, Steve, and then toss it over to you. What you think? So Portland state, I th- they do have the type of system that could give BYU a lot of trouble, but I think BYU wins fairly comfortably against them. I think we'll see a lot of Yoli child's dunks because a lot of times if you break the press, then you could get some really easy baskets. So I think it's guys like TJ Jashir and even Connor Harding. He's a solid ball handler. If those guys bring in the ball up the floor, I think BYU will be able to do well against that and have a pretty comfortable win against Portland State. And then, man, I've just seen BYU do so poorly in Vegas, Steve. Really, the only time, <laughs> BYU, a long history really the only time BYU's ever won in Vegas is that the Jimmer, his Jimmer senior year with that sh- three-pointer from the yeah. V. That was really the only yeah. time BYU's ever taken care of. You know, the in Vegas, so... I always just get skeptical every time BYU goes down to Vegas. But I do think BYU pulls out a five-ish point win. I think it's going to be a frustrating win. I think UNLV is going to do what we're talking about. They're going to shoot a lot and they're going to miss a lot, but they're going to get a lot of offensive rebounds and just make life frustrating for BYU. But I think do think BYU is the better basketball team. And I think we see two wins from BYU. Um, what do you see, Steve? Do you see two wins too? Or do you think BYU get, falls, gets upset at one of them? BYU in a rock fight for you, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, that would be that would be apropos, and that would be apropos in Vegas. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're ready for this, Robbie, but I'm gonna the blue goggles. They're on. Oof. They're they're affixed to my head. Yeah. I've got this. They're strapped on tight. Right. You know, I pulled the strap on. Uh, I'm gonna. I see two comfortable wins right. for BYU this I week. Like it. I think that. I think they've turned the corner. I think this is renewed defensive focus. Uh, I think having Nick, Nick back, I think this is all nothing but good signs. I, I believe that they're going to keep the trajectory going. I think Yoli is a beast and nobody has an answer for him. So I think they're going to have two comfortable wins, including in Vegas. I don't think UNLV is very good. I do think that Portland State could make this more annoying than it should be just because BYU has always traditionally struggled against pressure. Uh, they don't, I mean, even good ball handlers like TJ, TJ is nominally a good ball handler. He's traditionally struggled against full court pressure, particularly with more physical and quick guys who will really get into you. He doesn't like it. He feels uncomfortable in it. Uh, I think he'll figure it out. I think TJ will figure it out. I think Jashir uh, handling the ball will be really important. Um, so I think they'll figure it out. I'm sure they'll practice for it. But it'll just be annoying. That's that's kind of how I describe I, Portland State's type brand of basketball. Just annoying. I think deep down, um, but I think they'll. I, was, I think deep down, Steve. I think you just want to see Portland State do well because I know you have a man crush on Barrett Peary. So I think I, love I think Barrett you Peary. just want Barrett Peary to do well so he can become the next BYU coach. Obviously, I know you want BYU to win, 
But I think low-key, I think you would love to see Barrett Peary and his style give BYU fits. <laughs> so we could see Barrett uh, Peary maybe in Provo someday. <laughs> it would potentially be helpful to me like two or three years down the road. The, the Mark Pope to BYU campaign never got a bigger like bump than when UVU came into BYU and came into Provo and beat BYU on their home floor yep. and just made us look silly a couple of years ago. After that, I was like, oh, well, Mark Pope should be the next coach of BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe he will be. If I was a betting man, I'd bet on Mark Pope as the next guy. We should talk about this more sometime, by yep. the way, on this podcast. But uh, not in the middle of the season when there's a season going on. But I would like to see Barrick Peary be successful because I always want Barrick Peary to be successful. Yeah. Um, whether or not he's the next guy. I think you just want more good LDS coaches out there playing a successful brand of basketball because I think ultimately with BYU's restrictions and and, and unique situation, uh, more good coaches uh, in the pool is never, never a bad thing. Um, but nevertheless... I still see two two comfortable wins for BYU this year. I think they or this week. I think they've they've figured it out. I think they continue to roll um, right on into that San Diego State game the following week. Um, and I think that's I think that's it for us, Robbie. Any last any final words for the people? Any last parting thoughts for Cougar Nation before we sign off? You know, Steve, it's fun to be in a world where BYU is beating Utah thirteen of the last seventeen times. So even though football's sad, Amen. it's nice we own we own Utah on the hardwood. That is great. That is true. We are we are we are dominant on the in in the hardwood version of uh, of the holy wear. And you know, uh, football is just sad anyway. Everyone's you know damaging their brains and ruining their bodies for life. <laughs> we don't have that problem over here on the hardwood. This is this is basketball. It's a good good fast clean clean game, and and it's a game where BYU dominates. So you know, it's just another case for basketball being God's favorite sport. Um, otherwise, if it wasn't God's favorite sport, why would he put gyms in the center of every single one of his churches? It's just a question for you to think about this week, Cougar Nation, as you get psyched up for these two games against Portland State and UNLV. As always, remind, remember, you can follow us on Twitter. Follow Robbie at, R, at RT McCombs. Uh, and you can follow me at Post Jimmer. Tell us what we got right, what we got wrong, uh, why we're why my blue goggles are strapped on too tight and they're cutting off the blood flow to my brain. Um, anything. Just, just, just holler at us. And also, remember, subscribe rate, review, whatever you can on whatever platform you like. All those things really help us out. We really do appreciate everybody out there listening to us, uh, going through this season with us, the ups, the downs. It's been a heck of a roller coaster so far, and I assume it will continue to be so because we're talking about college kids playing college basketball. But regardless, we will be here next week, hopefully with two more wins in hand. Let's get out there and make it a good one. Go Cougars. Go Cougars.